Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Well, it's good to be with you today, and I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord. And uh, I was, it was interesting. On Thursday, Brother David called me. I was at the seminary. I had the privilege of being at the seminary here while we're on furlough, stateside assignment. And he said, David, I'd like for you to look at your calendar and come and preach before you go back to Brazil. Lord willing, in July, we'll be heading back to Brazil. I said, okay, I'll look at my calendar and uh, we'll figure out a date to come. That'll be great to, to see the folks again and, and to have that moment. Well, little did I know I would wake up this morning and I would have a voice message and a text message from Brother David that he was not doing well. And so apparently my moment to be with you came a lot quicker than I thought. And so I, I, I rejoice in this moment. I don't rejoice that he's, that, that he's sick and he can't stand up right now, but uh, I do rejoice that I have this opportunity. So uh, I come to you a little bit with fear and trembling because my notes today are in Portuguese. However, I don't think that would work out very well if I uh, disseminate what I have for you in Portuguese. So just pray that there'll be a blessing and we can, uh, uh, we can get something out of God's Word today. Uh, today, I would like to share with you uh, a passage of Scripture, actually three passages of Scripture that are known among the Jewish people as the Shema. That's S-H-E-M-A. And um, the Shema is probably the most recited passage in all of the Old Testament. And uh, it's, actually, uh, it's, base, it's, it's actually a compilation of three biblical passages in the Pentateuch or in the Old Testament. And, uh, and since it's so important to the Jews, and I will propose to Christians, I thought it would be interesting for us to know about this. Now, let me just introduce this a little bit to you. The Shema is typically the, the first section of the scriptures of the, uh, of the Torah that a Jewish child will ever memorize. Also, uh, it's recited in the synagogues. And the Jewish, the Orthodox Jews, they will pronounce every single word with very carefully, very meticulously. And they will actually cover their eyes with their right hand as they are reciting this, the first words of the Shema. Now, many Jews recite the Shema at least two times a day, in the morning and also at night. And also, when they take, if you ever saw a picture of like a Jewish synagogue, when they take the scroll out of the, uh, out of the what they call the ark in the synagogue, they actually recite the Shema at that particular moment too. And it's also a passage that is recited when someone passes away. Now, it's very common, and uh, in fact, it's so common, it's so much part of the Jewish culture that they have these little things called mezuzahs. And you're going to see a mezuzah right now on the screen. And, uh, and actually, it actually has two of the three sections of the Shema. 
And, uh, and so you'll see, there it is right there. And that little, if you see, it looks, it's, it's right there on the doorpost of a house. And it's also on the doorpost of the bedrooms usually. And inside this little, this, this little canister, if you will, is a Hebrew scroll that has the three passages that we will study today. They're all in Hebrew. They have to be done by Hebrew scribe and all that. And you can uh, go to the next slide there and you will see uh, many different variations of this little canister called the mezuzah that keeps in this shama. So it's, it permeates the Jewish culture. The next one right there you will see um, uh, is the, uh, is, actually I, we've had the privilege of going to Israel and in 2014, uh, my family, we were in Israel and we were at the uh, Western Wall that we call many times commonly the Wailing Wall. And in, in order to get in and out of that Western Wall, you go through security. And right there, what I'm actually uh, got my hand on right there is the mezuzah. So inside that big canister would be a big portion of this Shema. So it's really interesting as you watch Jewish people going in and out of homes, they will usually kiss their hand and touch the mezuzah, reminding them of this passage in which we will study today. Now, my objective today is to not study, give you a class of Judaism, even though that would be kind of interesting. But it's, I believe it's interesting that we would know about the Shema and some of its related aspects because many of the concepts and traditions in the New Testament make sense when we know some things about the Old Testament. Many things that we hold dear to us in the gospel, concerning the gospel makes a whole lot more sense when we know some of the context of the Old Testament. For example, uh, the Messiah, he comes from the Jewish people, doesn't he? And, so, and also the blessing that the Lord promised to Abraham also comes uh, from the Jewish people. And uh, in fact, Jesus, he fulfilled the law as we know, that the Lord gave to Moses. And for this reason, I believe it would be interesting for us to know some about uh, the Old Testament, particularly about this, these kind of concepts. So without further delay, I would ask you, if you would, please, just to find in your Bibles, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Pentateuch there, and uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And uh, once again, it's just wonderful to be with you, and we ask that you will pray for us. We'll, like I said, we'll be going back in July. We'll be living in the city of Rio de Janeiro when we go back. We're moving from Belo to Rio, and so we'll be arriving, or at least a couple of us will be arriving just before that Olympic game. So, so we'll, we'll be there uh, getting our house set up, getting ready to go. And uh, we, we sense the Lord is leading us to go back, and we're, we just thank the Lord we can go back and that we can uh, minister in Brazil. Okay, here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Now I'm going to do something a little non-orthodox. Instead of reading the entire passage, I'm going to read a portion, then we'll talk about it, and then I'll read another portion, and we'll talk about it. So in verse 4... Let's start off by reading the very first section 
of this third part of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now let's stop right there. I'm going to read that one more time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Portuguese, not in Portuguese, but in Hebrew, it would be something like Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. Now, why that that word right there? You know, is when I said that in Portuguese, not Portuguese, in Hebrew. When I said that in Hebrew, the first word was Shema. Thus, that's how they get this. That's how they have taken and popularly called this the Shema. Because the first word, which means here, is Shema. And, uh, and so what happens is this particular passage, this particular verse, verse 4, is the most significant of all of the Shema. Because it actually affirms what we would call monotheism. That is, that there is the belief and the concept and the conviction of God being only one. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that God just really, the Lord beat that into the Jewish people. They had a really hard time with that. Because we tend to have, the Jewish people as well as us, we tend to have this tendency to bring other things into our lives, other gods into our lives, or other things that would take the place of God. So that's, so that's the first word in, in that particular one. Now, as they would say that very first line, they would say it very, very slowly. And at the end of that verse 4, usually there's a response by the uh, Jewish congregation that would go something like this. Blessed be his glorious name and his kingdom for all eternity. That's how they would respond after verse 4. But let's go on and let's look on at the next verse here. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Now, that passage right there, verse 5, makes sense when we know verse 4. In other words, here, the Lord your God, he is one. Since he is one, he is your God. This is what you're to do. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. That's the command. Then it goes on in verse 6. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, what command are you talking about in verse 6, particularly, and the other commands that are surrounding this? In other words, they are to be consumed, and this is to be passed down. They are to be pondering these things all the time in their hearts, when they're lying down, when they're walking, and they're also to make sure that this is passed down from one generation to the next generation. Now, let's go on to the second passage in the Shema. 
I'll ask you to jump in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, verse 13. Remember in the Shema, in that little canister, there'll be three passages. Two in Deuteronomy. We looked at one. The second one we're looking at right now is called the Vienna. And then we'll look at the third one, which is in the book of Numbers. Now here... We'll break it down a little bit more. And in verse 13, I'm going to start reading 13. You see that the Lord gives a condition. He starts it off to his people with a condition. He says this, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? We just heard that, didn't we? He's really, in, he's really interested that his people will do this, that, he, that we will, that the Jewish people, and I would include all in this, that we will love him and serve him with all of our heart and all of our soul. What will happen if this occurs? Verse 14 and 15, you see the promise of God's care to his people. He will give the rain for your land in its season the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. And you shall eat and be full. But it goes on. So right here, we see the condition. We see the promise of God's care. And we all want that. We want that for ourselves. We want that for our families. But then he goes on, and then he speaks of a warning and the reason not to follow other gods. Verse 16, take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. And then continuing here, we see the instruction to be once again consumed with God's word and to pass this to others. Verse 18, I continue. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, taking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you are lying down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of the house and on your gates, that, you, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land, that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. Now, remember that little mezuzah, that little canister? One of the ways that they, the Jewish people do this is they put those little canisters on, their, on, their, uh, on, their door, on the doorpost of the house and also in the bedrooms, on the doorpost of the bedrooms, as a way to fulfill this particular command because it says on the doorposts. And it's most interesting, when we were in Israel, we actually stayed in a, an apartment uh, of a Jewish man. He, we rented it out, and it was interesting. He was a Jewish man living in Boston, but he had an uh, apartment in Israel, in Jerusalem. And lo and behold, right when we walked into the apartment, 
there was the mezuzah right there. And lo and behold, on all the bedrooms, there would be another little canister right there. Now, what's the key here? What's the key for us? What's the key here? Loving and serving God is tied totally to obeying his commandments and his precepts. Now, we are evangelicals. We are Christ followers. We've embraced the gospel. And we really emphasize this whole thing of justification by faith. I get it. I'm all for it. I, I, I totally get it. But it seems to me that we emphasize this whole thing of justification by faith to the place sometimes that we almost, we almost take lightly this whole idea of following God's commandments. They're not optional for his people. They are required in his commandments are life, and there's life for us, and there is actually flourishing available for us. Without that, then we'll be limiting, we'll be limiting in seeing God's blessing upon us. Now, what are his commands? Well, the commands that the Lord was referring to here, you know, many people who are a lot smarter than I am speak of what they call the moral, the moral law, the moral portion of the law, the, uh, the judicial portion, as well as the ceremonial portion. And many times we can see that, the, that in Christ, some of these things he has fulfilled, and we do not have to follow the ceremonial portions. And some of the ju judicial aspects are judicial aspects for those under the nation of the, the people of Israel. But at the same time, we see here, I think what we can also see, though, is we can see that much of this is embodied in what is summarized in, in, um, in the ten, what we know as the Ten Commandments. You see there responsibilities we have to God to obey His ways and responsibilities to treat others as God wants us to obey. Now, let's go on and let's jump over to another passage. Today you're going to use your Bibles. Uh, numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 15. And I'm just going to read this one very quickly. Chapter 15, verse 37. Chapter 15, verse 37 of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel. And tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look and remember at all the commands of the Lord. To do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments. And be holy to your God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. Well, there we go. We now have concluded what we would call popularly the Shema. Now, why is this so important? Well, it's so important because I believe, and I'm going to prove to you, that Jesus also 
affirmed this concept of the Shema. Now, if you will look now, jump over to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Remember, the, the Shema was given particularly to the people of Israel. But I believe it has application to us as Gentiles, non-Jewish people. In Mark chapter 12, we have a scene of Jesus around in the area of the synagogue or in the, in the area of the temple. And the temple was still standing when Jesus uh, was walking on the earth. And this is what occurred in verse 28 of Mark 12. And one of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, speaking of Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? That was a question posed to Jesus. Jesus answered, the most important is, and here we go, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We just read that, didn't we? Right there in the first part of the Shema. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that portion is in the book of Leviticus. And he goes on and says, There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe is affirming what Jesus said is correct. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. Now, we are here set, setting or standing in a lighted room in air conditioning in 2016. It's hard for us to get our heads around this context. So right now what I want to do is I want you to watch a little video that just kind of tries to depict this scene right here in which we just, uh, we just read. And after that, we'll continue and apply these portions of the scripture to our lives. Go ahead. Thank you. 
Right there in that passage, that, that kind of helps me. That video helps me to see the concept and the, and the context of what happened. And right then, no one asked him another question. Right then, I guarantee you the scribe left pondering what is it that he liked in order to get into the kingdom of God. I believe the Lord Jesus was actually affirming him and was encouraging him continue to seek the narrow gate, if you will. Now, there's a Jewish Christian, and he wrote the following about this particular passage, uh, that we, these, these passages that we have studied about the Shema. He says this, how is it possible to command someone to love you? And that's what exactly the Lord is doing here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He goes on, this Jewish Christian says, doesn't it seem absurd to even suggest such a thing? For instance, can you order your children to love you? What about your spouse, your friend, your pet? Can you order your pet to love you? And yet the Lord commands this very thing, insisting that we make him the primary passion of our lives before all other competing loves or interests. Only God can rightfully make such a demand because he knows that loving other things more than him leads to disordered love, moral evil, and eventual madness. We were made for God's love, but substituting finite things for, his, for this infinite need will never suffice to bring lasting healing to our souls. This Jewish Christian continues and says this, God doesn't need us to worship him. He's not insecure or threatened if we do not love him. No, it's the other way around. God demands our love because he knows how much we need him. Indeed, we were created. The very cosmos itself was created for the sake of being in a love relationship with God. This is the reason for everything that exists. Living in denial of God's, God's love is a form of spiritual insanity and despair. And he goes on and says that Jesus uses the metaphor of a vine and branches to illustrate this union. If you look closely at the vine, it's difficult to see where the vine ends and the branches begin. The expression of our hope, the life we live entangled in God's love bears fruit that draws sustenance from the life of the true vine. This is the communion of love as it works out itself in our daily lives. Forgive me for a long quote, but I think the gentleman summarized this very, very well. Now, let's take this and apply it to us. We, we you and I, we testify that we love God and we love Jesus, but does our lives certify our words? 
You see, obedience and kindness are marks of loving God. And also, our marks include that we would, we would actually walk in a way in our daily lives with others that, would, that as, as situations come up in our lives. And just remember the gospel. It gives us what we need in order for us to live the way that the Lord wants us to. Before we think that we are actually getting into legalism here, it's the gospel that gives us power to live the way God commands us to live before him and before others and in service to others. And you see, you see uh, God becomes our father and the, and the spirit of God teaches us and guides us so that our state in God's eyes actually becomes how we live. And for that reason, one more passage, and it's the last passage, I promise you, that we're going to look at. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Maybe this passage will make sense. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Before we came back in July of last year, uh, I had the privilege of leading the little church there in Brazil in Belo Horizonte for about three years. And one of my last tasks uh, of preaching, I actually preached through the first John. I thought that would be easy. It's probably the hardest, pass, the hardest book I've ever preached through in my entire life. And, but here, look at this, because just how the construction is and everything like that. But as we remember the Shema, remember what God's commanding us in, in these other passages, maybe this will make more sense now. Verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. It's interesting. He's talking to believers, those who were justified by faith. But he says right here, if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Let's ensure that our words, our profession matches how God intends for us to live as his children. So, here we go. Judaism 101, you have had it today. But what does this have to do with you? What does the Shema have to do with you? What does it have to do with you collectively as Lucy Baptist Church? What does this have to do with us as children, as fathers and mothers and all that? Well, let me just give you a few things uh, as we kind of bring it down to more application here. First of all, the Shema affirms that the God of Israel, the same God who sent Jesus to the world, 
is the one and only Lord among other gods and among other principalities. For that reason, he should be listened to. There might be other gods. They are, there are other gods, there are other principalities, but there's only one true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, when he says here, we need to listen. It's to our benefit. Second, this God can be yours and can be mine. This God is ours, but it's necessary that we are adopted by him. You see, the Lord adopted a people, a nation called Israel. And we know that he, in the grand scheme of his cosmos, in the grand scheme of what he's doing in the world, he sent his son to adopt individuals to be a part of his kingdom. He wants to inhabit his kingdom with people, with families who embrace the gospel, who embrace Jesus Christ. So you see, this whole idea that we're all God's children, yes, he is our creator, but he can only be our God and father through embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you God's child? Have you embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If not, then that would be the first part of obeying this passage of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all with all your mind. Oh, how we fail in doing that. But where we fail is where the grace of God through Jesus comes in. So I encourage you to look and examine, are you in Jesus Christ? Third, when we are adopted, the love, our love extends to him in such a way, our love for him should be in such a way that all other relationships are small compared to him. You know, and we have to have examine, are we loving someone else? Are we loving something else a whole lot more than we should be loving God? Third, loving God equals obeying God. Obeying God equals serving God. How many times I've heard people say, oh, I love God. But they're not obeying his commandments. They're not putting what God says they need to put in their lives. So all of a sudden we have a discrepancy. Do they love God? Are they in God's kingdom if they're not serving and obeying him as God's command? It's not one or the other. It's got to be both. It's got to be both. Next, our faith is not applied. Our faith doesn't, is not, should not be lived out only on Sunday morning, Sunday night, maybe Wednesday night. But it should be lived out on a, on, a daily, on a daily basis in this realm. And then there's another application. We as fathers and mothers, we have a divine mission, and I would put that with grandparents. We have a divine mission of, cha- of, of passing this legacy of this faith to our children. However, that's not going to happen if we do not have a true commitment to this God, a true dedication to this God, a transformed behavior, and a contagion 
passion about it. How many times I've watched in Brazil, families are in churches, and about the age of 13, 14, the children go away. The children just kind of stray away. And there's reasons for that, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to accuse anyone. But here's, the, here's part of what we see in the Scripture. We've got to have a dedicated, true faith. We've got to have a transformed lifestyle. And we've got to have a contagion, a contagion passion about that. And then there is another principle here, and that is, and I like this, that there is a blessing given to God's children who obey Him. However, there's also a curse on God's children for those who do not obey him and who follow other gods. So there's a blessing and a curse. And I believe this blessing and a curse applies also to those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants to bless us. He wants us to flourish. But there is that deal of having to remember his commandments and obeying his commandments and putting him first and loving our fellow man. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.